welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the egos of all other people at the table. I'm one of your hosts, DM Mitch. And I'm DM Neil, aka Joke Maniac. And today, I'm really excited, Neil, we have, again, a returning guest, we have Michael from the RPG Academy here to talk to yes. us about one of my all-time favorite D&D races, Halflings. We're going to be talking about Halflings today. It's going to be a fantastic episode with Michael. This is going to be a way shorter episode than normal. <laughs> What'd you uh, say about Halfling? Oh, no, none of that. But we're also going to talk a little bit about our favorite convention that we go to every year, a catacon. So definitely listen in to everything that we have coming your way. So if you're a gold dragon or higher, head over to our Patreon where you can check out the brand new sub race for Halflings that yours truly made. And speaking of Patreon, if you are a silver dragon or up, you have some creative control. So head on over and make sure to vote for the next Ancestral Analysis episode. Your vote will be between gnomes, which were right up there with halflings in the vote last time, dragonborn, and half-orcs. But as always, we have some iTunes reviews. So the first one comes to us from Matthew Bro 77 Taught an old dog, new tricks. Five stars. When I came upon this podcast, I was looking for an easy way to get back into gaming after 20 years. I was looking for a rules discussion for 5e as I assumed much has changed. This podcast, of course, avoids talking about the rules at all, and yet it is exactly what I needed. I did eventually get around to finding some tutorials for the rules, but this podcast did so much more for me. Inspired me to create, to dream, to focus on my storytelling, and to engage in the process playing a game with my friends. I have now completed my binge of the backlog and think I'm going to have to become a drag become a dragon because i miss story time yes. if you're if you are or wish to become a dm this is the podcast i'm a better dm today than i ever was because of it i've even started a game with my kids inspired by guests co-hosts from this podcast that is awesome i i don't know what more we could want than what we got in this review so thank you matthew bro 77 yeah thank you so much and our next one comes from nightburn the dragonborn druid as entitled best podcast ever five stars before listening to this podcast i had no idea how to dm but after it i went out and started dming and i found that it's really fun so thank you for breaking my fear on not being a good dm thanks so much guys and thank you nightburn we really appreciate that review and hey if you're a pat patron dragon you can head over and uh, vote for yourself in the next poll <laughs> Dragonborn, yep. I get it. I see what you did there. Neil, what time is it? Let's head to the meat. I'm starving. We ain't had nothing but maggoty bread for three stinking days. Why can't we have some meats? Looks like meat back on the menu, boys. So for this episode of The Meat, we have, I love having returning guests, and this time, this is the third appearance, which is phenomenal, uh, of this guest. We have Michael Ross, founder of the RPG Academy podcast, here back on the show with us. Michael, welcome back to the Dungeon Master's Block. I'm excited to be here. Thank you guys so very much. Of course. Yes. We're going to kind of hone in our interview questions, and if you've been around and listened to us for any length of time, you know that 
there's a convention near and dear to our heart, and it is a catacon. And if you haven't, I know the best person to talk about it, and he's on the <laughs> other side of this microphone. So, Michael, tell us about a catacon 2019. Fantastic. Thank you again. Thank you for having me. Thank you for allowing me this opportunity. I love your show. I love you guys. So it's it's oh, great to be back. We love you guys and your show too. I've said it before, but your podcast was legitimately the first RPG podcast that I ever started listening to. So. Thank you, Michael. And <laughs> I intentionally go to Dayton, Ohio every year. So I, if that's not love, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, because there's no other reason to go. <laughs> uh, so so as Mitch was saying, I'm the founder of the RPG Academy podcast. And a catacon is the terribly named convention that grew out of our podcast. It stands for Academy and Convention. Nobody ever gets it right. I think it's Acadacon or Arcadacon. Acadacon. Go, yeah. go back and listen to those early episodes where we first <laughs> were invited to Acadacon. I believe every time I said Acadacon. <laughs> so I apologize. It's, I'm part no, of the problem. <laughs> it, it's a terrible name, but I, at this point, I'm just I'm just planting my flag and yes. saying, no, we're, we're not going to change it. Uh, so it started in our basement, or I should say our my basement. I just invited, basically it was just a, like a, a friend's weekend of gaming. And then we just, you know, delusions of grandeur. <laughs> uh, but it was a ton of fun. So we decided to do it again. And then podcast was starting to get some audience. So we just threw it out, like almost like a joke. Like, hey, if anybody wants to come hang out for this weekend in my house, play games. And people did it. Yeah. We had people fly across the country to hang out in my basement for three days. Uh, no one died, which was great because there was some conversation about whether somebody was an axe murderer um but that was also a ton of fun and uh one of one of the people i think i probably told this exact same story before but eric uh one of our longtime listeners he's a patron of ours and a friend he um he said you know maybe don't kick your family out because the wife left for the weekend took the kids to a hotel he's like why don't we just like rent a place you know um, and then the typical Michael fashion, I took that idea and grew it into a business. Um, I started a Kickstarter. We raised a bunch of money. We rented out a location and it's been a public event ever since. This will be our seventh year overall, fifth year as a public event. It's just a, it's a very kind of laid back RPG convention. We're very focused on RPGs. A lot of conventions our size are more board games. Obviously, we have a ton of board games, but it, we're more RPG focused. We have a bunch of podcasters like yourselves. You've come every year. Yep. Uh, generally, you do like Geek Wars is like a main event and the use of other gaming as well. We have a bunch of other podcasters that show up, a bunch of other game designers that show up, local authors, designers, vendors. Um, so it's basically it's like what you would expect any RPG convention to be. It's just we're kind of small for our size or we're small size, but we bring in guests that are about, outside of our size i guess i'm saying that terribly no you're you, no i got i got you you're you definitely punch above what people would think of the weight class of the number of people that go to a catacomb that is the thing that blew my mind the first year i went like you couldn't literally turn around without bumping into somebody that was directly affiliated with the rpg industry on some level be it podcaster be it author be it like anything you could think of yeah so that is that is one of the draws by far and away yeah, and that's actually how I, I needed to say because someone else has told me the same thing. They said we punch above our weight class. That that is perfectly said. I just took me twelve minutes to get there. Gotcha. Uh, so thank you for helping me out. Um, so, but it's it's a it's a great time. It's in November in Dayton, which is a terrible place and a terrible time. It's a terrible name. It's got a lot against it, uh, but it's a very fun time. And again, both of you have gone. This isn't me just saying it. You you come every year. You have fun every year. You make our event more fun for coming. But even though our event isn't until November. 
we raise our funds uh, through Kickstarter, and the Kickstarter is going to go live in March, right around the time this comes out. So March 21st is when the Kickstarter will go live. You can get all your badges there, GM badges, vendor badges, regular badges, all that kind of good stuff. Um, and then the event is actually the we- the weekend of Veterans Day in November 8th, 9th, and 10th. I got to I gotta say that one of the best things about it is the size, um, because I have just heard story after story of people going to the larger conventions like Gen Con and saying, I get lost in the crowds um, and saying for those who have gone to bigger conventions like that and have gone to a catacon, that's always what I hear people say is that a catacon, just the community is wonderful. And I know right now that there are listeners who have listened to us say, come to a catacon every year and who haven't done it. And I know that it can be, especially um, even, you know, even a smaller size convention like this is a lot of people. Um, And so I know that it can be a little scary. Me and Chris, when we first went, I remember taking that drive and looking at each other and being like, hope this isn't a terrible weekend because you don't you don't know, like, you know, how welcoming an environment's going to be. And we've gone back every year since. And it has been phenomenal. And it, even though it's filled with podcasters and authors and all these people in the RPG community, I think it's also very appropriate if you're feeling that to reach out to somebody that you listen to or that you read from and say, hey, I'm coming in. I'd love to meet you. Maybe hang out a little bit. Because most people who are there are going to be like, wonderful, I'd love that. And that will help to ease that tension, hopefully, for you. So if you're one of those people listening and that's how you've been, I just want to encourage you, maybe this is the year that you step out of your comfort zone and come, and then you're going to want to go every single year. I I hope so. Um, Again, I go to a lot of conventions. I go to Gen Con. I love going to Gen Con, but it is very much a different experience Mm -hmm. than what you get at at a Catacon. Uh, Not better, just different. Yep. And obviously I'm, you know, I'm biased. I love a Catacon. It's kind of my baby at this point. But yeah, we have people that come every year, literally at this point internationally, you have people that come from out of the country and they have people that they, because we're small enough that if you do make a connection, uh, you know, again, a lot of people come are listeners to our show. So they're already familiar with people on the podcast. They have now become friends through like our Discord or through our Patreon. And so that's like when they get to actually game with each other. You know, they talk to each other on our Discord or on Twitter or Facebook or whatever. And then they get a weekend to game. And even if you don't know anybody, I guarantee you're going to find somebody at your first table that you, you like and connect with. And you're going to see them again because we're small enough that you're going to keep seeing the same people over and over again, um, which is a benefit, I think. Agreed. Totally agreed. So, yes, a Catacon. Kickstarter is live right now, Michael, so they should go and check that out. We will have the link in our show notes. Uh, you can go to uh, the Akatacon, uh Twitter page, which is... At Akatacon. At Akatacon. Very easy. A-C-A-D-E-C-O-N. Like Academy and Convention. Yep. <laughs> and then I'll give you plenty <laughs> of updates, and you can find the link there as well. So go check it out. Get a badge. Come this year. It's going to be fantastic. Um, what more can we say? So let's, um, unless there's anything more that we can say, which I know there is probably so much. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I could talk the entire time just about the event. Uh, but again, I just, anyone who is listening, who again, has heard it before, but isn't sure if they want to fly all the way to Dayton or drive to Dayton, uh, at least consider, I know money's an issue, time off from work's an issue. I totally get that. But we have a very high percentage of people who come, who love it and come every year. So something there is bringing people back 
And I think it's a special event. People like yourself and Neil make that possible. So I just encourage you, if you have any questions, you know, get with me. We can try to look up for ride shares, depending on where you're coming. We might be able to figure out room shares for you to help lower the cost. Um, and it's a pretty cheap convention. I mean, obviously, if you travel, you got to pay for that. But the hotel or the event itself is not very expensive. And once you buy a badge, everything's included. There's no per game fees. So once you buy your badge, it's just register for what's available, play it, and then you're done. There's no 2 or $4 per event. Perfect. So transitioning now michael you know the drill we got a surprise question for you one from one of <laughs> Wait, our i thought that was dragons. a surprise question <laughs> yeah. uh, so this one comes from jude monolly and jude monolly asks what is your favorite culture to put into a homebrew world so I, i'm assuming that jude means from our real world what is a favorite culture that you love to take and be inspired by and to put into a homebrew fantasy world of your own that's an that's an interesting question first of all i gotta say hey yes. um, <laughs> then um man i you know you know i don't want to like try to cheat the question but i try to stay away a lot from real world cultures mm. because i'm a white dude from middle america <laughs> may not have the expertise to do it with any sort of you know um correctness so i'm more likely to make things up but i'm still gonna draw from different elements um as a kid i studied martial arts pretty heavily now i'm old and fat but when i was a kid I actually <laughs> you know I, I held belts in multiple styles of martial arts so i'm, I'm really big into um asian culture uh you know and samurai culture bushido and warrior code so i certainly have elements of that and then i also usually put in a lot of um like nomadic tribes mm. that that travel around. They don't have a home. Uh, not really Native American, but there's definitely some inspiration there. So that probably would be the two that come to mind most would be Asian culture, specifically Japanese or Okinawan, and then um, Native American. Fantastic. Uh, great answer. Awesome. Thank you, Jude, for that question. And thank you, Michael, for that answer. I personally add the culture of the Beatles to every no. <laughs> just the absolute fever pitch in culture around. Them. I'm sure every that Jude has, has the never Beatles heard these it. jokes that you guys are oh, throwing. I'm no. sure. I'm sure. I'm the first person ever to do that. <laughs> yes. So with that, though, we are going to jump right into another ancestral analysis. And this time we're going to be tackling halflings. So thank you, patrons, for voting on that. And now we can jump right into it. I mean, I don't even know where to start. I think the best place, though, is like what do each of us feel distinguishes them from other races? Michael, if you want to go first. Okay. Um, so as I told you before we started recording, I went back and reread some of the halfling stuff from many of the uh, older D&D books I have, as well as some non-D&D books just to get kind of a cross flavor. There's not a lot to halflings on the page. I mean, you know, we, you have to go back. Obviously, they were inspired by Tolkien, the Lord of the Rings, and The Hobbit. And there's a lot of elements that are pulled just directly from those stories. And then a lot of ways, that's just kind of it. <laughs> um, they're, you know, there's, they're, they're the typical Bilbo Baggins. They thief. They're very lucky. They're, they're brave beyond their stature. Um, so for me, I think what makes them interesting is that they are essentially, they, they could be passed for humans, they could pass for elves, they're probably sometimes mistaken for dwarves, but they're none of those things. So I, I can't imagine there's a bit of a cultural identity crisis with a lot of halflings, like trying to figure out if they're not with other halflings, then where do they belong? Um, 
and just and me being i would go for easy jokes playing with the height like you know trying to go into a bar and have to get a step stool or a kid stool or you know all, all those little jokes that you about you know doorknobs or head high that kind of stuff um but i you know i very much play them bilbo wagons unless i have a specific take that i'm going for i hope that's an answer i don't know well i think that i think you're you're right in a in a big way that halflings it's kind of like this what you see is what you get they're not these this race that's keeping these secrets hidden and they have these magical powers that like upon seeing them you wouldn't know that they have i think the the biggest thing that they have that you mentioned is their luck which i want to talk in more detail but you're you're right it's kind of this what you see is what you get which i think is why you do have some strange, which I know, Neil, you were looking at some some stranger halflings that like kind of branch off from your, what your typical halfling is. Uh, and you have these weirder like I know in uh, previous editions we had uh, and I think we we get into it in fifth edition at some point, too. But we have like jungle halflings. And um, if you look at Pathfinder, you get the everybody loves a kinder right so you have <laughs> you have these branch offs to kind of make them a little bit more different but to me i love i kind of love the fact that they are a simple folk and i think there's a lot to get into with that well, yeah i mean one of the yeah things is that i mean even if you're looking directly at the information given to us through the fifth edition kind of informational block as you will is just blend into the crowd and pastoral pleasantries or basically they just want to hang out and they just want to farm and they just want to be and like if it, they're in a community of their own they're just going to be in that community if they're in a different community they're just going to be in that one but I, th I think you're right too that they're like it's halflings just love the simple life they love comfort they want to live uh, they're, they're like goal for life. Most of them is to live in the comfort of their own home and to live a peaceful, quiet life in the countryside. Uh, they, they're, most of them are not going to want to go on adventures. There definitely will be some and we'll get into that, but, uh, that's, that's what most halflings want. They just want to go to their shop every day and, and sell their goods and go home every night and smoke, uh, some pipe weed have a have an ale by the fireside maybe once a week go out to the pub to talk with their friends but this is like this is halfling like goal of their life they that's what they want out of life is just live a nice quiet home life they they don't want to make waves yeah and and i I read into that the fact that they are even called halflings they don't call themselves that the other races, particularly humans, probably have put upon them your half sized, your halflings, and they're just like, "All right, we'll go with that." Like, don't you think they probably have a name for themselves? They're just they don't want to correct people. You know, it's like uh, you know, someone mispronounces your name, you just go with it. You're like, All right, "It's it's fine." Uh, they're just they're like the Canadians of D and D, I guess. They're just so nice. <laughs> what culture do you want to put in your world? Canadian <laughs> yeah. halflings. Yeah. <laughs> what is this a boot? Uh, oh gosh. So one of the other things that I think would be really interesting, and um, Michael, you had kind of talked about it, where a lot of the inspiration for Halflings comes from Tolkien. I mean, uh, I know kind of in our age range, people had to read The Hobbit in seventh grade. Mm. Like, there wasn't really a choice. And then, you know, I mean, it's <laughs> the books have been around forever. The movies have now been out for some amount of time. So, like, 
kind of that culture or that zeitgeist of halflings gets defined by Tolkien in one way or another. But what I thought was interesting was, Mitch, before we were talking and you had actually kind of found what you thought might be the inspiration for Tolkien's Hobbits. So kind of going off of what you're saying, Neil, yeah, like I think that especially when you get to The Hobbit, um, but also when you get to The Lord of the Rings, one of the things that Tolkien made very prevalent with Hobbits, which are the inspiration for halflings. I In early editions, they were called Hobbits, and then uh, some lawyers came in and were like, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, so they became that. halflings, right? That's the origin of <laughs> the halfling. But the luck aspect was very prevalent in the in the Hobbit, the book, uh, with, with Bilbo, and it carried over to be with the rest of the Hobbits that we read about in The Lord of the Rings. When you look at the Hobbit story, there's so many times, and I'm speaking about the book because this is something that I think the movies do not do a good job of, of grabbing onto, is this idea of eucatastrophe, the fact that there is the halfling, uh, Bilbo, the way that he gets out of these terrible situations it's just super lucky. Like it's not, it's very rarely because he has a great skill that he calls upon, but it's more just a dang. That was, that was lucky Bilbo. You really got out of that. And I love what Dungeons and Dragons has done and said, you know what? That's going to be a trait of the halflings. Uh, if you read in the books, it, it talks about, you know, if you have a halfling in your adventuring party, you're going to become very familiar with their luck because you're going to be like fighting on a rooftop against some orcs and the halfling is going to fall off to his death. And then you're going to look over the side and see that there was a flagpole uh, sticking out from the building and the halfling is holding on to that. Uh, there's going to be multiple times you're going to be like, man, you should have died there, my halfling friend, but somehow... You got out of it. And I love this luck aspect being built into a race. Yeah, I think in some ways it was necessary because if you look at the the books with the lens from the, you know, our contemporary understanding of literature and movies and all kinds of stuff, there's no reason for the hobbits to have survived. Mm -hmm. Like they don't have any skill. They don't have any magic. The things they have are the power of friendship and that they're really lucky. So when they were trying to build D&D, I can imagine you know, uh, Arneson and Gygax and the other folks that were involved going, I I guess we have to make them lucky because that's the only, like we can call it plot <laughs> armor if we want, but it's just the fact that we needed them to get to the end zone. The only reason why they're there. So I I guess they're lucky. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that as like as a negative thing. I just, I like the design choices were, that's what they get. They're lucky. Well, I think it, it's super fun to play that play that up in your own world of either being an NPC or working with your PC. Also, I can't help but like rewatch some of the scenes in the movies in my brain of just like, oh, Samwise tripped over while he's trying to fight Shelob. He yeah. must have rolled a one. And then he's like, oh, hold on. I'm lucky. I got to re-roll that. <laughs> and then he's got a nat 20. So perfect. Yeah. And that's kind of the question that I wanted to ask you guys is like, so – for a player, you get the mechanic of lucky, which allows you to re-roll when you get uh, when you roll one, which is which is wonderful. And as a player, you can kind of uh, jump into that, like remembering my halfling's lucky. So I'm going to try to describe what he does and add this luck element. But I think as a DM with a halfling or more than one halfling PC, I think this is a great thing for us to grasp onto. And so remembering that halflings are lucky. 
And if you have a player who's a who's playing a halfling, what are some interesting ways that you as a DM would try to like work that in to your story? Well, one thing I would think of, and this may be more player driven, but like is the is the halfling superstitious? Mm-hmm. Like clearly they have the mechanic of luck, but what does that look like to the halfling themselves? Do they know that they're lucky? Do, do they count on their luck? They go into situations like I'll be fine. I don't need a helmet or weapons against this thing because I know I'm going to be okay. So what does that look like in the narrative of the world? Uh, do they do any sort of rituals? Like, do they have to go to bed facing a certain way? Do they have to like, you know, have a, like a little charm they take care of? Do they have a spirit or god or goddess that they thank for their luck? What happens if they have a run of bad luck? How does that affect them psychology? You know, psychologically, if they just have like two or three days in a row, or they have bad luck. And you know, this could be game terms. They just said, you know, the player has a bad night and they roll terrible all night. What does that do in the game to someone who knows they are lucky and suddenly they're not? I, I think that could be very interesting from a player standpoint of how you present this in the narrative. And then as a DM, then you can play with that. Uh, and it doesn't have to be mechanical. You know, it could be something as simple as uh, they're walking through a field and you want there to be an ambush. So you're going to have somebody fire an arrow and at the exact right moment, like a pheasant or a duck flies out of the blind, gets hit by the arrow. So they now are alerted to the fact that there are ambushers. No one actually got hit or hurt. It's like, that was lucky, you know? <laughs> I, I really love the idea of creating that additional narrative to other mechanical effects. Because if you think about the idea of like, okay, so I've rolled uh, a high enough on my perception, but then letting that realization be that an arrow was shot and a pheasant was hit and now you know that there's an ambush not just you see it i think that's a really really fun way to add in that luck component to a halfling pc yeah i would totally as a dm just be looking for instances where i could bring a spotlight onto the halfling's luck um you know you maybe you all go into a room and you're looking for for that object that you're trying to get and nobody comes up finding it. And right before you leave, you just say, you know, the halfling just leans up against the, the wall and feels something click behind him. And the bookshelf then moves and opens revealing a secret safe or uh, even I had another one, but now I totally forgot. But yeah, I would I would just look for those those chances to just throw in like a little like, you know, I do want my players to succeed here and we have a halfling. I'm going to have this be a time where luck luck becomes what happens to make them succeed. And maybe you even build in a a mechanical device for that. Um, but I think that's a great way to make your player who picked a halfling, which I think happens uh, not enough in in the world that we live in <laughs> uh, shine in that moment. So I like the idea, too, of being in particular with fifth edition, where you have the lucky trait that allows them to reroll ones where like from a mechanical standpoint, it would be I'm going to roll to attack. I rolled a one. I get to reroll it because I'm lucky. Now I have a 17. So in the fiction, all the players know all the world knows is that the halfling got a 17 and hit. What if we keep the one in there? You rolled a one, so you missed, but you get to re-roll that. Now you're 17. So rather than actually hitting their opponent, something they did 
with the fall, they shot something behind them. The, you know, the luck aspect is that they didn't actually succeed, but how they failed was beneficial. Yes, I love that. Or even, and even just bringing that into like every natural 20 and you could like if the player loves it, the player can even latch on to that. And uh, so you got a nat 20 on that attack and you're going to you're going to kill that orc. How does that happen? Well, actually, what happens is the orc brings his sword down and disarms me and my sword goes flying and I'm looking at that orc scared, <laughs> scared, speechless. But the sword was thrown upwards from the disarming and it comes back down and hits the orc right in the head and the orc dies. That's a that's a yep. phenomenal like luck thing right there. Oh, I yeah, I love turning so many of those like you know and, um you know because some halflings have a tendency to use ranged weapons because they are small and don't like getting squished. And you know the idea of you know a crossbow bolt firing, you rolling a one, it just sails mm. wide, and then you kind of have that classic pating pating yes. pating, and then hits them like <laughs> right in the backside. Yeah, and they're laughing when the whole time because you missed so terribly. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. And that's that's something I do in my games kind of a lot, so it wouldn't be a big stretch for myself or the players that if you're rolling an attack roll and you've done enough damage to take out the creature in front of you, I'll let you describe that however you want. And it could be that you missed, but again, you create a, Rube, a Rube Goldberg type machine or some other sort of slapstick thing, however you want to describe it, because at the end of the day, the creature's now gone. So that would be very easy to incorporate with the luck where tell me how how awfully this went, but it's still going to work out for you in the end. Yeah. And another good place to look at inspiration for this kind of thing would be fantasy flight. I mean, if you wanted to look at um, the Genesis system and failing, but then having advantages and things like that, if you as examples of how another game does it that you could then fold back into D&D. Yeah, yeah, you've brought that up a couple times on the show before, and you do so because it's a wonderful gaming mechanic. And if you haven't looked at it, check it out. So let's transition now. So for Dungeon Masters out there, especially ones when we're creating our homebrew world, one thing that we have to keep in mind is like societies for these races. And so let's talk about halfling societies. Uh, Your PCs are going on an adventure and they come into contact with a society of halflings, whether it's a village or a town or even a city, which is once we're getting to city, we're getting really kind of away from the roots of halflings because I think they like to stick more to those closer knit communities But let's talk about halfling societies. What do they look like and what are some inspiration uh, that we can gain from and maybe even change them up for our own homebrew worlds? So I want just one quick thing and you can either move it around or put it in here. Um, I was looking at some of the other game systems. And if you look, have you ever played Dungeon Crawl Classics? I have not, but I, I know of Dungeon Crawl Classics. So it's kind of a play on the older versions of D&D, the very gritty, realistic, I don't say realistic, but like, you know, you get zero, one hit point at first level and you can die. Uh, But the halflings in that game actually provide luck to the entire party. So having a halfling in your adventuring group gives your party luck. And I think if I remember correctly, because I read through it briefly, is that the halfling gets a number of points they can use to affect roles for other people. fantastic. So that, you know, again, that would be adding a mechanic that's not in fifth edition, but, you know, I could see in some sort of narrative in some places saying, I'm going to let this person use my luck this time. And maybe you have a limited number of times you can do that or just, you know, it's situationally, it works this time. It may never work again, but that could be a fun element to to bring in as well, that the entire party is lucky because they brought a halfling with them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. That, that you could have 
even just one uh, one or two points a night where it's the halfling luck, but it's able to be used by any member of the party. The ranger uh, has learned to take the halfling on hunts with him for food because he sees more to hunt then. Uh, that's a, a wonderful little thing, and you can just use that halfling luck point. <laughs> this is a great, guys, are you okay if I use this? Yeah, of course. Just make sure <laughs> exactly. that you have the halfling with them. Yeah, I think that's very cool. Um, so halflings, and you touched on it before, but I'm a big fan of Eberron. Um, there mm-hmm. is no fifth edition official Eberron. Yet. I think well, there might be something in DM's Guild. Yep, there is. Um, but I'm a big fan of Eberron. It's so my favorite s- published setting for D&D. And they handle halflings very interestingly. Um, they are dinosaur <laughs> riders who are nomads and live in traveling villages in this, like I think it's called the Talentia Plain. And and though you don't want to mess with those people, like, you know, you think of halflings, again, like hobbits, they live in their farm and they're nice and they, you know, invite you in, they'll give you their last dollar, their clothes off your back. These halflings will hunt you down and kill you for <laughs> trespassing on their lands and their raptors will eat you. I don't know why, but I think that's awesome. And they also throw boomerangs because I mean, that's just perfect. Like halflings with boomerangs on raptors. What's well, not to love? Well, it's a great example of um, not needing, especially when you're getting into your own homebrew worlds, not needing to stick with the type of society and culture that's laid out as like, this is the how this race is. Because when you go to different lands, when you get into like, you're going to have different cultures uh, with each race. And that's going to make it more realistic of a world. It, it's definitely different than what we have from the typical halfling society, but it's a very interesting halfling society to say the least. Yeah. The other one, of course, is the, the ghost wise halfling. I, I, I wanted to stop reading only one sentence into their description because it's <laughs> way fun, way more fun for me. Um, but they can trace their ancestry back to a war among halfling tribes that sent their ancestors into flight. And then I just wanted to stop there and then just envisioned flying halflings. That's not the case, but, um, <laughs> definitely a very different take. Like the other thing is that they can communicate telepathically. Um, so that would be another really interesting way to have a society of basically, you know, these, set of halflings and maybe you have them just a pocket in a town that just don't talk because they don't have to and you know, and they keep to themselves in every feasible way because of that and that's that's something that is built into the typical halfling culture is uh even the fifth edition books talk about how their societies are usually hidden away and it doesn't even necessarily mean that they're like hidden away on purpose but Kind of going along with this lucky aspect of like the race of halflings, they just seem to be hidden away, maybe even to the point where it's, there's some kind of magicalness around it. Uh, you to find a halfling society, you kind of have to stumble upon it. Like you find this opening in in these high hedges, and you walk in, and all of a sudden there's these beautiful sprawling hills uh, with halflings. Uh, tending to their crops because they uh, are a very agricultural uh, society, driven society. But a lot of it is this this hidden away. And this actually comes, a lot of people think that Tolkien, when he was developing the halflings, comes from the Norse mythology of uh, these elves that are called the Holdu folk. And it literally is like these hidden away people they're very like halflings. They kind of just live a life 
that's normal and they just uh, they're not out there causing mischief or anything like many other elves and fae that are in mythology, but they're just they're hidden people. They don't usually get seen because their their societies are like hidden away and magically protected. And this is where a lot of people think that Tolkien pulled upon uh, for inspiration on the hobbits. So almost like a Shangri-La situation where it's a hidden city or hidden valley yeah. that you find. Uh, that could be very, very cool. Um, the first thing that came to my mind would be um, they're growing weed and there's an entire elaborate underground criminal organization because their their farmers or agricultures, <laughs> maybe they're growing some wacky weed in their fields and that's how they make their money so that, you yeah. know, no one suspects them of anything. But they're, you know, they're, they're supply and demand, food and other things. I love that uh, idea. And they give them kind of a sinister, <laughs> sinister feeling, you know, like you don't want to cross a halfling. I love that idea because I just got this, like, this image in my mind of, like, two rangers, like, walking through the woods and you smell, you smell that? Smells, <laughs> man, that's a very small, strong smell, but they can't locate where the sense of smell is coming from. Oh, those halflings. Yeah. I also could see a situation where, you know, again, if they're they're small, they're unassuming, people don't think them as much of a threat. That's the perfect cover for assassins. Like you could have, it doesn't make like the entire culture, but you could have, you know, I know in, in the game they're kind of thievy because they get dexterity bonuses. But from a culture or narrative standpoint, someone who's small and unassuming can get in and out of places, can be mistaken for children very easily with a simple disguise. They could, you know, be a page person or a, a, a cupbearer, a steward in a castle, slip in some poison. No one ever knows. Somebody just dies, never wakes up. Um, that could be an interesting either from the player standpoint, that's who they are, or the players are trying to solve a crime. And the only evidence is it seems like there was a bunch of children that no one had seen before. Now they're gone type of a thing. And I think that all this talk of like hidden away and... Uh, what halfling societies like if you do stumble upon a halfling society, the typical halfling society is also going to be like a, a nice place for a rest um, or even just to go maybe on maybe a halfling village is vacation spot for your adventures uh, where you go and you engage in this society. That's like halflings are very, very prominent storytellers uh, they tell stories and pass them down uh because a which i think adds to it is that it's a very family structured society there you don't have nobles you don't have royalty uh, they look to their elders to to lead them and give them wisdom but so they're telling stories and um which all all goes into a lot of what we've talked about with the luck and michael you brought up the superstition and tra and traditions like well we we tell this story on uh every full moon because this will bring us good luck and if we don't well uh we don't want to even think about how the crop's going to turn out then and then that might give a, a good reason why some halflings decide to become adventurers you know they have this very storied oratory tradition i want a story about me yeah, now, I don't want to tell your story. I want you to tell my story. So that's why one in a you know a hundred halflings do leave the farm or the shire or whatever, so that they can go out and create their own stories. Because it, you know, if if you play them again, quote unquote, traditionally, most halflings would not want to be adventurers. That's completely uh, against their chosen type of lifestyle. So they either have to do it because they don't have any other choice, or they have a desire to make a mark. 
Um, and it could be as simple as trying to, you know, uh, impress a, a girl or boy or man, woman, whatever the case may be. Um, so they want to prove themselves a hero. It could be f- friendship is a big one. You know, if you make friends with a halfling and then you're in trouble, the halfling will come and help you, even though that's not really what they want to do. And then, you know, for, that's probably more for like a shorter game than like a campaign, but things can happen. You know, once you get out into the wild world and things happen, maybe you can't get back. Maybe you can't find Shangri-La once you leave. You didn't know that because no one ever leaves, but when you did, now you can't find it. I love I love your idea of the story element being that way that the halfling gets swept away onto an adventure. Uh, you bringing up the idea that like, well, I love stories. I would love to be a part of a story one day. Uh, we definitely see that with uh, Samwise, the words that he says to Frodo in Lord of the Rings, but also like you could use story in the sense of, like you said, most halflings aren't going to want to be adventurers, but you know, we think of Gandalf uh, or a ranger walking into a halfling village and telling them stories of the outside world. Uh, most of the stories maybe that they're hearing are stories of, of halflings and, and their luck. But if they're hearing stories from the outside world, you picture like 20 little halfling children sitting, listening to this ranger uh, tell a story about the outside world. And uh, at the end, 19 of them scurry off and go back to their normal lives. One of them stays and keeps asking questions and questions out of the curiosity. And that's the halfling that grows up and doesn't want to just hear about these stories of the outside world, but he or she wants to be a part of these stories. And so that's a perfect background for a PC who wants to play a halfling and doesn't stay at home in the halfling village. I think that that curiosity is definitely a great component to use. And I think, I mean, if you're putting a halfling society that is more kept to itself and focuses on farming, I think finding that, you know, like Michael mentioned, that story element that brings them to the adventure is really important for that character and and the story that they're trying to create another one that i thought of was depending on the class of the halfling it could be some level of divine inspiration that is then pushing them to this this adventure and you know so they can focus in paladin cleric druid things like that could focus on the deity that's behind what they're learning as the motivation to go and be you know and go on an adventure uh, I like the idea of maybe kind of folding in that superstitious aspect of almost like a chosen one yes. where like maybe every generation there's like a set of triplets that are born and one of the triplets <laughs> has to go out in the village. Otherwise the luck will fall away or twins or the seventh son of the seventh son or daughter, whatever, you know, you've, whatever your PC wants to make up, but something about you, you have to leave your village for the luck of the village to be maintained and so you don't want to be yeah. out adventuring, but you, you have to. So then you're the, you're the person that's like, yeah, I'm lucky. I'll be okay. So it's almost like you, you don't have that cheery, almost cherubish type attitude. It's more of a dour, like, I guess. <laughs> <sighs> yeah, that'd be a great PC to play because you're, you're always saying, hey, this looks like a good place to uh, set up camp, uh, smoke some pipe weed, drink an ale, relax, right? We just started our journey for the day. What are you talking about? <laughs> but hey, yeah, that, I'm, that lucky. I'm telling hero. you, this is the best spot. <laughs> so as we have started to do, and I feel like it's a direct somewhat inspiration from the RPG Academy and Michael himself is we've started to kind of toss out some homework. And if that um, 
triggers you in some way, as I, I can envision it will. This is just wonderful research that everyone should do. Um, so we'll kind of go around and if anyone has like books, movies, comics, anything that we think would be a great source of inspiration for people to put halflings into their homebrew world. I don't know that they're quote unquote halflings in the narrative, but Willow. Oh, <gasps> yes. Stop looking at my computer. <laughs> I just watched that recently. I, I shared it with my kids not too long ago and they loved it. Like I was a little worried they'd think it's slow, but they absolutely loved it. And it's that great, honest person, reluctant hero. They're not the right person for the job, but they're the only person for the job. Yep, that's per perfect. A hundred percent what I was going to tell people. Uh, so hopefully I can steal whatever Mitch has, which I, I don't think <laughs> it will. Uh, but the obviously dig into everything that's fifth edition that comes from halflings. Definitely do that. Tolkien's out there. You probably know that version. But another thing to kick it a little bit old school for $10 on the DMs Guild, you could download the complete book of gnomes and halflings from second edition. So definitely a way to look at kind of what was and compare it to what is and figure out what works best for you in your world. I, I sorry to interrupt, but I, I was going to talk about that a little bit perhaps because I, played second edition i never had that particular book but i had many of the others there was like the complete book of elves the complete book of rangers and i loved those books they were yeah. great for inspiration so while i've not read that one i have to believe there's a ton of great inspirational information in those so yes highly recommend that as well yeah i mean you i knew that it was gonna get mentioned throughout the podcast so there's no not much more we can say beyond uh, the best, maybe one of the best things and the most obvious things is Tolkien. Go check, read The Hobbit. It's a good, good place. Read parts of the Lord of the Rings that have, uh, watch the Lord of the Rings movies. Notice I didn't say watch the Hobbit movies. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, beyond that, I would also throw out once again, uh, if you want to check out the Norse mythology behind the Holdu folk, that's H U L D U folk. Um, you can gain some inspiration from that. Check out Google images with them because, uh, Neil and me were looking at them before the episode and you've got, you've got real life halfling houses, uh, that are there that you should check out. And then beyond that, if you're looking for maybe some different cultures, you can go look at Pathfinders Kinder, or you can check out, um, the Kithkin from Magic the Gathering and the lore behind them, which if you want to go way back, we do have an episode featuring Kithkin on our Magic the Gathering episodes way back in the day, early uh, Dungeon Message Blocks. You can go listen to that if you'd rather uh, not look up websites and info yourself. <laughs> and if anyone's not already familiar with Eberron, I highly encourage you to yep. check it out. It's, it is Absolutely my favorite published setting. I love the way they handle halflings. And, and what I mentioned earlier isn't all of them. There are multiple sects of halflings. They also, in that world, they uh, have the, what's called the Mark of Hospitality. So pretty much every inn that you go to is ran and owned by halflings. And they also have a Mark of Healing. So most healers in that world are halflings. And there's a series of novels called The Dreaming Dark by Keith Baker, who wrote the Eberron setting. And one of the main characters is a halfling. Nice. But that leads us to one of our most important questions, of course, and that is, Michael, where can we go to find you on the Internet? Uh, if you go to the RPG Academy, pretty much anywhere you search, if you find something, it's me. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, our website, so on and so forth. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter, Facebook. I mostly just post 
stuff about the catacomb or, you know, about my kids and funny stuff they do. Uh, and then check out our podcast. If you thought I added anything to this discussion, <laughs> I have about 500 episodes of me talking about stuff too. Perfect. Definitely go check all of that out. Thank you, Michael, for coming back onto the show. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. We just want to thank Michael again for so many things, but today we are thanking him for coming on and talking all about halflings with us. And if you wanted to get a hold of us and tell us about how you've added halflings to your world, you can always email us at dungeonmasterblock at gmail.com. And of course, if you see fit with this episode or any of the others to give us a five-star review, definitely head on over to iTunes. And after that, we'll read it on air. You can follow us on Twitter at DMS underscore block. That's at DMS block. You can also like our Facebook page. Both of those places have updates about the show and all around D&D goodness. We have a Patreon member shout out of the week. And this week's Patreon member shout out goes to DM Speedo. Yes. Okay, you are a wonderful person for that name and, of course, for your activity over on the forums and all of the awesome ideas you're already sharing with us. And, of course, as a Silver Dragon, we hope that you are enjoying all of the Patreon rewards and, of course, engaging in every vote we throw out there, like the one for our next Ancestral Analysis. But, as always, the Dungeon Masters Block is a proud member of the Block Party Podcast Network, where you can check out other shows like Geek Wars, Detentions and Dragons, Dungeons and Dragons and Daughters, and more. And we just wanted to thank you again for listening to the Dungeon Master's Block, the place where we come to talk about the Dungeon Master, the most important person in the game, the only person capable of playing God, killing characters, and lowering the ego of everyone else at the table. I'm DM Neil. Good night and good luck. And I'm DM Mitch reminding you to keep on Dungeon Mastering. So we, with that, though, we're going to jump straight in and we're going to tackle another ancestral analysis in this time uh, because you voted on it. We picked. Well, I guess that's not how that works. If you voted on it, we didn't pick it. Technically, we did pick it because it was a tie, but I have to edit all of this out now. Uh, 